Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, December 30th, 2020, the final episode of the year. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Apple loses an interesting copyright case. Get ready to see TikToks in your Google searches. Amazon's other business is becoming a monster. The tech that consumers did and did not as much partake in over the holidays. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. For the final time in 2020, here's what you missed in the world of tech. A federal judge has dismissed Apple's claims that mobile device virtualization company Corellium violated copyright law with its software that allowed folks to run iOS on PCs, quoting the Washington Post. In a ruling that has wide-reaching implications for iPhone security, research, and copyright law, a federal judge in Florida threw out Apple's claims that Corellium had violated copyright law with its software, which helps security researchers find bugs and security holes on Apple's products. Corellium, co-founded in 2017 by husband and wife Amanda Gorton and Chris Wade, was a breakthrough in security research because it gave its customers the ability to run virtual iPhones on desktop computers. Corellium's software makes it unnecessary to use physical iPhones that contain specialized software to poke and prod iOS, Apple's mobile operating system. The judge in the case ruled that Corellium's creation of virtual iPhones was not a copyright violation in part because it was designed to help improve the security for all iPhone users. Corellium wasn't creating a competing product for consumers. Rather, it was a research tool for a comparatively small number of customers. Apple did not immediately respond to a request for comment. In the lawsuit, Apple argued that Corellium's products could be dangerous if they fall into the wrong hands because security flaws discovered by Corellium could be used to hack iPhones. Apple also argued that Corellium sells its product indiscriminately, a claim Corellium denied. Judge Rodney Smith called Apple's argument on those claims, quote, puzzling, if not disingenuous, end quote. Smith found that Corellium used a vetting process before selling its products to customers. Apple initially attempted to acquire Corellium in 2018, according to court records. When the acquisition talks stalled, Apple sued Corellium last year, claiming its virtual iPhones, which contain only the bare-bones functions necessary for security research, constitute a violation of copyright law. Apple also alleged Corellium circumvented Apple's security measures to create the software, thereby violating the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. That claim has not been thrown out, end quote. So, I was all ready to say this was a dumb lawsuit, But apparently, companies have won similar cases in the past around copyright, but most in the digital security community praised this result. Let me quote at Pwn All The Things on Twitter, quote, This is a big deal for security research in particular, but also other parts of tech. Apple's case was an insanely broad assertion that emulating iOS firmware on something that's not Apple's own hardware violates iOS copyright rather than covered by fair use. Imagine if that argument had prevailed. That emulation of a binary, even for wildly different purposes such as security testing that binary, is a litigable copyright infringement. Might as well have backronymed AFL to automatic federal lawsuit in that scenario. Was such a dangerously broad claim. And if the logical conclusion of your lawsuit is Windows being a terms of service change away from overnight bankrupting VMware to force everyone to use Azure and turning security testing of compiled binaries into lawsuits, then sorry, your lawsuit is bad and you should feel bad. End quote. 
If you could swear you've been seeing TikTok videos show up in Google searches recently, you're not imagining it. Google is apparently testing an expansion of its short videos feature at the top of mobile search. This will surface TikTok as well as Instagram videos in a dedicated carousel, quoting TechCrunch. To be clear, this short videos carousel is different from Google's Stories, which rolled out in October 2020 to the Google Search app for iOS and Android. Those stories, previously known as AMP stories, consist of short-form video content created by Google's online publishing partners like Forbes, USA Today, Vice, Now This, Bustle, Thrillist, and others. Meanwhile, the short videos carousel had been focused on aggregating social video from other platforms, including Google's own short-form video project, Tangi, Indian TikTok competitor Trell, as well as Google's own video platform YouTube, which has also been experimenting with short-form content as of late. We found the short videos carousel appears when you scroll past the Google Knowledge Base box for the Green Bay Packers, followed by the scores, top stories, Twitter results, top results, images, videos, and other content like a listing of the players, standings, and more. Both Instagram and TikTok videos were available in the short videos row. When clicked, you're taken to the web version of the social platform, not the native mobile app, even if it's installed on your device. The end result is that Google users are more likely to remain on Google, as all it takes is a tap on the back arrow to return to the search results after watching the video, end quote. So, how might this change the sort of videos that people create? Because now you can create SEO-friendly videos. Might we see people incentivized to create a ton of topic-specific videos now? And as Chris Messina tweeted, quote, Now that Google is indexing stories from Instagram and TikTok, can we agree that this is how a digital monopoly expands its empire, i.e. by ingesting and building an auction on top of new media formats, end quote. We haven't checked in on this in a little while, but remember that quote-unquote other business unit at Amazon? It's largely the placeholder for its ads business, the ads business, the reason that it's basically become impossible to find the product that you actually want to buy when you search on Amazon. All those sponsored results and so-called Amazon's choice results don't even get me started on how friggin' frustrating it was to try to shop for the kids this Christmas. Forget building a better Google. If you could build a better product search on top of Amazon, you'd be doing the Lord's work, believe me. Anyway, yeah, that other business unit at Amazon was apparently up 47% in 2020 to $21 billion in total revenue, quoting from the Financial Times. I don't think there's enough recognition for just how big of an advertising business Amazon is on the way to creating, said Andrew Lipsman, principal analyst at eMarketer. We still expect solid, if not strong, growth by traditional standards for Google in both 20 and 2021, but increasingly, Amazon is eating into that growth, end quote. Amazon offers advertisers data that is irresistible, a closed loop that shows them how effective every dollar they spend is, and more than two decades of insight into the actual buying habits of consumers rather than just their web browsing habits. Quote, I can understand better the value of a dollar spent on Amazon because I can literally see the transaction, said Eric Heller, who runs the Amazon Center of Excellence at WPP, the world's largest ad agency, which advises on how best to use Amazon's platform. Mr. Heller noted several studies had shown that people were increasingly searching for things to buy directly on Amazon rather than on Google. 
For marketers, Mr. Heller said, it was the difference in reaching the person searching for athlete's foot cream rather than, why does my foot hurt, end quote. Yeah, when you put it that way, it really is kind of shocking to realize how oblique Google search for products actually is. And it's worth noting how much this really is that sort of zero-sum game that we've been talking about recently. Amazon is eating slices of Google's pie directly. They're stealing the business away from Google, quoting again. It all amounts to the foundation to eventually turn the Facebook-Google duopoly into a three-way fight. In just over two years, Amazon has gone from languishing behind Microsoft and Verizon in the digital marketing space to being a comfortable third. This year, Amazon is on course to command 10.2% of U.S. digital ad spending versus Facebook's 23.5% and Google's 29.8%. By 2022, Amazon's share is predicted to be almost 13%, a slow but meaningful encroachment into a high-margin industry. Some critics argued that Amazon's sponsored results were effectively a listings tax, an additional cost of doing business on top of the commission the group already takes, which itself was more than $20 billion in the last quarter alone. Quote, Amazon is becoming more and more a pay-to-play platform, said Mitchell Bailey from Caspian, a company that provides advertising services for brands on e-commerce. Quote, unless you're willing to invest in their advertising platforms, it's much more difficult to compete, end quote. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features, help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. 
Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Let's wrap up with some stats from the holiday period. For example, Sensor Tower says that consumers worldwide spent $407.6 million on the App Store and Google Play on Christmas, up 34.5% year-over-year. Mobile games were the biggest chunk of that, rising 27% year-over-year to $295.6 million in sales, led by, apparently, Honor of Kings. And meanwhile, a flurry survey says that U.S. smartphone activations on Christmas Day fell 23% year-over-year iPhones dominated the top 10 activated smartphones, but at the same time, budget devices from the likes of LG and K30 surged, quoting Flurry. Apple's budget device, the iPhone SE, as well as LG's K30, saw the largest Christmas Day surge compared with the prior seven-day average, with 34% and 181% increases, respectively. In addition, the success of past year's models, notably the iPhone 11 and iPhone XR, may demonstrate that American consumers were more price-sensitive this holiday season. Notably absent from this year's list is the flagship iPhone 12 mini, which brings the features of the iPhone 12 and a smaller device. With a discount of only $100 compared to the iPhone 12, however, the mini version has yet to catch consumers' attention, end quote. And finally, it is apparently a disappointing watch when you actually sit down to watch it, but Wonder Woman 1984 might have given a boost to HBO Max. Apptopia says the streamer saw around 554,000 app signups over the Christmas holiday, and that's just on mobile, quoting Bloomberg. While mobile devices are just one entry point for customers using a streaming service, the data provides a way to measure traffic. HBO Max's total mobile users now stand at just under 12 million, Aptopia said. Meanwhile, Walt Disney's Disney Plus streaming service had about 2.3 million global installations of its mobile app over the Christmas holiday, a 28% increase from the prior weekend, according to the market research firm Sensor Tower. The Pixar animated feature Soul, which was released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day, took in about $7.6 million in its theatrical debut in several international markets, including China. The weekend will be closely analyzed by Hollywood executives and investors because studios decided to release two big films, Wonder Woman and Soul, on their streaming services on the same day they were released in cinemas. Wonder Woman took in $16.7 million in domestic theaters over the weekend. AT&T's WarnerMedia said nearly half of the customers who have subscribed to HBO Max directly from the company watched the film on the day of its release, end quote. Time for the final Weekend Long Reads suggestions of 2020. First up, Fast Company features an essay from Rohit Prasad, head scientist for Alexa, who argues that the good old Turing test is an obsolete yardstick when it comes to measuring AI developments. We need a new metric. Quote, While Turing's original vision continues to be inspiring, interpreting his test as the ultimate mark of AI's progress is limited by the era when it was introduced. For one, the Turing test all but discounts AI's machine-like attributes of fast computation and information lookup, features that are some of modern AI's most effective. The emphasis on tricking humans means that for an AI to pass Turing's test, it has to inject pauses in responses to questions like, do you know what is the cube root of... 3434756, or how far is Seattle from Boston? 
In reality, AI knows these answers instantaneously, and pausing to make its answers sound more human isn't the best use of its skills. Moreover, the Turing test doesn't take into account AI's increasing ability to use sensors to hear, see, and feel the outside world. Instead, it is limited simply to text, end quote. The Wall Street Journal looks into something I've been wondering about, actually, because I'm old enough to remember when, once all my friends jumped to AOL, the McCullough family abandoned Prodigy for AOL. And I even remember when some of your friends were on AIM and some were on Microsoft Messenger or Yahoo. So what's going on these days? Quote, I interviewed five teenagers across the country to learn what nearly a year of living virtually has been like for them. A common theme is that their tech choices, or those of their parents and even their friends' parents, dictate with whom they have stayed in touch. That was the case, to some extent, before the COVID-19 pandemic, but it has become starker in the months since many in-person interactions came to an abrupt end in March. Nearly half of the 849 teens surveyed by Common Sense Media late last spring reported feeling less connected than usual with their friends after schools closed. Students who had once talked to certain friends every day in the school cafeteria or in the hallway suddenly lost touch with all but their closest pals once schools shut down, unless they happened to be connected on the same social media apps. Some even lost touch with their best friends because of the technology they do or don't use." End quote. Next, a bunch of stories that touch on themes that we've been talking about all year. For example, we spoke a bunch about Mukesh Ambani and how everyone in the world fell over themselves this year to give him $27 billion just to get a piece of Reliance Geo. Now, 2021 is when he's going to have to start delivering on the promise he sold. Quote, Reliance is planning to showcase its lineup of 5G products at next year's shareholder meeting, which typically takes place sometime between July and September, one of the people said. The company is also working with Google on an Android-based $54 smartphone, part of the strategy to get more Indians to use mobile data for services, including streaming video, online games, and shopping. Reliance views the integration with WhatsApp's recently approved payment system as a crucial step in the development of its online shopping services, the people said. The companies are working together as Reliance's e-commerce platforms look to tap hundreds of millions of Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram users. And Bonnie's biggest challenge now is to earn a return on these investments, said James Crabtree, author of The Billionaire Raj, A Journey Through India's New Gilded Age, end quote. And all year, I personally have turned to Ed Young in The Atlantic to keep me abreast of where we are in terms of the pandemic. I'm not going to quote from it right now, but in his final piece of the year, Young outlines how he sees 2021 playing out, including the vaccination endgame and how the virus itself may or may not evolve in response to vaccines. The New York Times looks at something we've discussed several times. Trump might be leaving the White House, but his trade war with China has had many domino-falling results, including China's recent drive to kickstart a homegrown semiconductor industry. Quote, China is in the midst of a mass mobilization for chip mastery, a quest whose aims can seem just as harebrained and impossible, at least until they are achieved, as sending rovers to the moon or dominating Olympic gold medals. In every corner of the country, investors, entrepreneurs, and local officials are in a frenzy to build up semiconductor abilities, responding to a call from the country's leader, Xi Jinping, to rely less on the outside world for key technologies. Their efforts are starting to pay off. China remains far from hosting real rivals to American chip giants like Intel and NVIDIA, and its semiconductor manufacturers are at least four years behind the leading edge in Taiwan. Still, 
Local companies are expanding their ability to meet the country's needs, particularly for products such as smart appliances and electric vehicles that have more modest requirements than supercomputers and high-end smartphones. The turbocharged chip push could prove one of the most enduring legacies of President Trump's pugilistic trade policies towards China. By turning the country's dependence on foreign ships into a cudgel for attacking companies like Huawei, the administration made Chinese business and political leaders resolve never to be caught out that way again, end quote. And finally, the end of the year makes you think of time passing, of life. Bit of an inelegant segue there, I'll admit, but the New York Times takes a look back on 50 years of John Conway's Game of Life. If you're not familiar with this early attempt at simulation, get educated, quote, because of its analogies with the rise, fall, and alterations of a society of living organisms, it belongs to a growing class of what are called simulation games, Mr. Gardner wrote when he introduced life to the world 50 years ago with his October 1970 column. Life swiftly eclipsed Dr. Conway's many other mathematical accomplishments, and he came to regard his missive to Mr. Gardner as, quote, the fatal letter. Life ultimately became way too popular for Dr. Conway's liking. Whenever the subject came up, he would bellow, I hate life. But in his final years, he learned to love life again. He narrated a documentary with the working title Thoughts on Life by the Brooklyn-based mathematician and filmmaker Will Cavendish explored the deterministic game-of-life versus free will theorem, a result Dr. Conway proved with his Princeton colleague Simon Cochin. I used to go around saying, I hate life, Dr. Conway says in the film, but then I was giving a lecture somewhere and I was introduced as John Conway, creator of life, and I thought, oh, that's quite a nice way to be known. So I stopped saying, I hate life, after that, end quote. As hinted at all episode, I will be taking tomorrow and Friday off, and there will be no bonus episodes this weekend, so we won't be speaking again until Monday, until 2021. Happy New Year to all of you. I love you all. Thanks for sticking me in your head every day. I truly appreciate each and every one of you. My best to you and everyone you care about in the new year. Here's hoping for good fortune and good health to all of us in 2021. Talk to you next year. 